Good morning, everybody. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of eternal life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 to 28. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11 to 28. If you have a pew Bible, they can find in front of your seats. It is on page 944. Hebrews chapter 7, 11 to 28. Now I'll ask the congregation to stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that the tribe, that tribe Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. If you are newer here or joining us for the first time, we have been going over the book of Hebrews. 
And the book of Hebrews is a continuing crescendo. It builds upon the previous passages. And I have to say, this is a climax of some sorts. What we reach now, here in this passage that was read, is built upon the previous seven chapters that we have gone over. And when we go through Melchizedek, the fascinating part of Melchizedek, there was only two passages in the Bible like four or five verses in total. And what we see is that this author is now going to exegete, take apart and explain what those four or five verses in the Bible mean. And this portion, so last week we went over Genesis chapter 14. Today we're going to go over, and this section, Psalm 110.4, just one verse, but he's going to take apart and explain this one verse and how important it is for us to understand this one verse. And so if you still have your Bibles open, and I ask that you do, I think it's important that we go over this verse and the context in which this verse was written. And it's Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is, if you, if you have a physical book, it's pretty much in the middle of your Bible. And Psalm 110, before it starts, I just want to explain to you, it has a little section almost that looks like a header. It says, a Psalm of David. This is not an insertion like the other headers that we see in the New Testament. This is actually part of the scripture. So if you opened up a scroll that was in the Psalm, the, the actual scripture would start out by saying a psalm of David. So it's actually part of the scripture. And it's showing us that David wrote this psalm under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And this is what it says in Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. I'll just take a quick pause here. If this sounds familiar, it's because this psalm is the most quoted Old Testament scripture in the New Testament, Jesus even quotes this portion that we'll go over soon in a little bit. Verse 2, the Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. This is the context in which verse 4 is right there smack dab in the middle and this is what the author of Hebrews is going to talk about, how pivotal the understanding of this verse is. And now, after I spoke about the first section of Melchizedek, I heard that a lot of you did have questions, which is great. You're supposed to, because he's going to go even further into explaining what it means to be in the order of Melchizedek. And why it's so important that we understand this to be in correlation with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I do have three quick points. 
The first two are short points, and the last point is the longer point, because the first two will be ingrained in the last point. But I do have three points. And the first one is the insufficiency of the Levitical priesthood. The insufficiency of the Levitical priesthood. The second point, the insufficiency of the Mosaic law. The insufficiency of the Mosaic law. And the last point, Christ is sufficient. So insufficiency of the Levitical priesthood, the insufficiency of the Mosaic law, Christ is sufficient. Now, like I said before, the writer will take the first two points and then develop them even further in the final points. But he needs to establish some groundwork here to get to that final point. So let's go to the first point from verses 11 to 14, the insufficiency of the Levitical priesthood. Now, even if you look at the Hebrew tribe today, people who are Jewish, people who are Israeli, people who have come together saying that they are of Jewish descent or Hebrew descent, there are no Levites anymore. And what do I mean by that? You can't trace your lineage, your genealogy back to Levi. Those records have been lost long ago. And even the Jewish people will tell you, like, what tribe are you? And a lot of people won't know, and some will say, actually, I'm from the tribe of Levi, and will say, will ask, what proof do you have? And they'll say, well, my, my father told me, and then my grandfather told my father, so there's really no reason to doubt. While that may be the case, but the truth of the matter is, there is no actually written records. And we'll see in the scripture, there's always written records, a genealogy that goes down and down and down, showing proof that this is actually what happened. In fact, when I do speak with some Jewish friends of mine, it's always somehow Levi, the tribe of Levi, or the tribe of Judah. And I always wonder, what happened to Gad? No one says they're from the tribe of Gad, or Issachar, or Asher, you know? And people now don't even know. They're like, well, who's Asher? Is it one of the, you know, Santa's you know, reindeer? But one of the things that we need to understand is if you are from the tribe of Levi, what was the point? And this is how verse 11 starts. The verse 11 starts by saying, Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron. So the first word that we see here of consequence is perfection. What does it mean to attain perfection? And the Greek word is teleosis. Teleosis sounds a lot like telos, what we have gone over many times in our sermons. And it points to perfection, meaning it points to completion. So perfection or completion, if it had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood. And so what is completion, though, in this context, then? What is perfection, completion? And we see that in verse 19. It is the ability to draw near to God. What is the importance of us gathering here today, this morning? Why do we say the Sursum Corda? Why do we sing songs of worship? 
Why do we ask for forgiveness? Remind ourselves it is by the blood of Christ, it is through the gospel preached in our faith that we receive what? We receive the ability to draw near to God. That's what we are saying. That is completion in this context. That is perfection. So in that sense, the Levitical system of sacrifices was not able to enable the worshiper to approach God. This is so important because it shows us that sacrifices, the sacrifices that we saw in the Old Testament are essentially incomplete. The sacrifices, meaning the sacrifices were only as good as what it pointed to and the faith in what it pointed to. If you put faith in the sacrifices, that is not enough. You needed to put faith in what the sacrifice pointed to. What is the object of that faith? Because Levitical priests were in charge of animal sacrifices, and when they would sacrifice an animal, what we understand is that it would only provide a temporary covering of sin. Temporary covering. What that also means is that it foreshadowed the perfect and complete sacrifice to come. The complete sacrifice of Jesus. And more, he's going to develop this even more in Hebrews 9 and 10. But it doesn't mean, what I'm saying here now, it doesn't mean there was something intrinsically wrong with the Levitical system. That's not what we're saying. What we are saying is that the shadow anticipates the substance. If there is a corner and then you see a shadow come, you know something is coming. And you can see the outline, the general outline, what they're going to look like. But the shadow is not the substance. And then when the person turns the corner, we see that's the substance. So the sacrifices are a shadow. It was foreshadowing the substance to come. It was shadow. It was a shadow around the corner until the person comes into view. So that means the shadow cannot fulfill. Therefore, the shadow cannot achieve perfection. It is the fulfillment of the shadow, the substance that can only bring teleosis, completion. And what does that mean? Full access to God. If the shadow could have done that, this is what the author is arguing, if the shadow could have done that, there would not have been a need for another, or the word means different, priest, after the order of Melchizedek. Not the order of Aaron. After the order of Melchizedek, another or a different priest had to come. He's going to explain what that means. Verse 12, because the law concerning the Levites were after the Aaronic order. It was after Aaron. That means if you would uh, if you were to change the priesthood, it would mean that it would necessitate the understanding that you have about the priesthood to change as well. That's what verse 12 is saying. In verse 13, he's obviously talking about Jesus. The tribe of Judah never served at the altar. The Mosaic law never put forth any traditional law that would have someone from Judah take on priestly duties. So how does this all connect? 
How is it possible? And he's going to continue on. But the point is, the Levitical priesthood is insufficient to bring about teleosis, perfection, completion. Then, then what does that mean? There has to be another. There has to be another. And he's been talking about Jesus Christ all this time until chapter 7. But how is Jesus Christ the other priest? Because he was born from the tribe of Judah, as we all know, not the tribe of Levi. And there are no priestly duties associated with Judah in the Mosaic law. Which points to our second point. The insufficiency of the Mosaic law from verse 15 to 19. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek. The buildup is going to continue. His points are made more obvious, and this is what he means by more evident. It's more obvious because there is another or different priest like Melchizedek. He says this twice just for emphasis. He is not Melchizedek, but he is like Melchizedek. So what does that mean? It means he is not of the Levitical order. He is from the Melchizedekian order. What? So now how do you get to be, so he's going to continue to explain as the verses go on. How do you get to be part of the Melchizedekian order? How do you get to be a part of the Levitical order? Well, first, if you are part of the order of the Levites or the Aaronic order, you need to be descended from Levi. So there, again, like I said in the beginning, you have a father who was a Levite, you have a grandfather who was a Levite, a great-grandfather who was a Levite, and that goes down to you, which means you are a Levite. That means you now have Levitical duties to continue to uphold an order. That's what order means. Order means duty. And so how do you get to be part of the Melchizedekian order? Well, here... The author is saying you need to be like Melchizedek. This was established last week and reiterated again. But here he says it just outright. What is obvious? You have the power. So how are you part of the order of Melchizedek? What does it mean that you are part of the order of Melchizedek? He says it right there. You have the power of an indestructible life. You are a priest forever. That's what it means to be in the order of Melchizedek. You see, what Melchizedek pointed to was a priest who had no genealogy, which means he has no beginning, and then lives forever. There is no end. So there is a priest that is coming, a different priest that is coming in the order of Melchizedek, which means what? The order of Melchizedek means you have the power of an indestructible life. There is no beginning. There is no end to this new different, another priest. And this is the priest that he is saying is literally obvious. It's evident. This priest has the power of an indestructible life. Again, I want to reiterate, what is the order of Melchizedek? In Psalm 110.4, it means that you are a priest forever. I hope that now made clear and it makes sense. Because he's saying it's evident. All of this shows us that to be the order in the order of Melchizedek, you are a priest forever. So now, 
The former, regarding the shadow, is set aside because it is weak and useless. Now, that seems a bit harsh, right? If you're a Hebrew person, if you're a Jewish person listening to this, you're saying, this is what the author is saying, the former, regarding the shadow, is set aside for its weakness and uselessness. And this, this audience is to the Hebrews. But the writer here is displaying to his readers that this isn't just this isn't just something that he made up after Jesus. After Jesus, someone didn't concoct this up. It was literally in the text 1,000 years before Jesus Christ. 1,000 years before Jesus Christ, 1,000 years after the Mosaic Law, in Psalm 110.4, there is a priest that is forever not in the Levitical order, but in the order of Melchizedek. Now, what does it mean that the former commandment is weak and useless? To set aside means to annul, to annul or to annul a decree or to cancel a debt. That's what it means to set aside. It's a technical and legal word that's used. The former commandment was put in place for a transitory ordinance. That means until the real thing comes. So here there is a parenthetical for the law made nothing perfect. So he's going to continue to explain. See, you could not achieve completion or perfection with the law. You cannot achieve perfection or completion with the law. If you could, if you could, number one, it would not be transitory. Number two, you would not need a different priest. And number three, and this is the most powerful point of all, Psalm 110.4 wouldn't make any sense. Why is it there? You would think the law is all that you need. It's just what the, time, what the Jews at the time thought. And so the Jews at Jesus' time thought they could achieve perfection. And in Matthew 22, Jesus tests them by quoting from Psalm 10.1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make, a, make your enemies a footstool. At your feet. What does that mean? What does that mean then? And they could not give an answer. That's what it says in Matthew 22. They couldn't give an answer because if they did, if they were able to give any answer at all, they would have had to tackle Psalm 10, 110, verse 4. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Because the Mosaic law is insufficient to bring about fulfillment. But a better hope is introduced, through which we are made perfect. Perfect by yourself? No. It's to draw near to God. And a lot of people think, what does perfection mean? What does it mean that I'm finally perfect? Does it mean that I can lift the amount of weights that I want to, run the race as the distance that I want to, be as beautiful as I want to be? And a lot of people think perfection in, in the terms of self-centeredness, you know, I will be fulfilled. I, I, this, this, and that. But here he says something even greater than that. Perfection isn't just for yourself. Perfection ultimately means that you can draw near to God. That is what perfection is. That's the better hope that Christ introduces. So now we have these two short points leading up to our final and most majestic point that he's going to make in verses 20 to 28. Christ is 
sufficient. Now I'm going to go through a little bit more in detail this section. Verse, from verses 10, 20 to 22, And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The writer here will draw upon the previous two sections and make this his final and ultimate point. Melchizedek is no longer going to be mentioned because it's not about him anymore. How was Christ made a priest? It says here, with an oath. In chapter 6, we saw the force of an oath made by God. It is impossible for God to lie, and he has sworn an oath that Christ is priest forever. Okay, maybe you're like, okay, you've established that over and over again. You've established that to whatever degree. What does that mean, though? And this is what he says. This is what it means that Christ is a priest forever. He says this makes Jesus, in verse 22, the guarantor of a better covenant. The priest is made priest by divine appointment. That means it's a divine institution. The priest is chosen by an oath unlike all other priests. So this decree is final, eternal, unchangeable. He will not change his mind. There are no other priests now. Now, what does that mean for us in our context? We think, oh, this is just old stuff. It's thousands of years ago. Who has priests now? But there are priests today, religious and secular. We have been surrounded by priests. What I mean by priests is not necessarily they wear an outer garb. The outer garb is to signify what they represent. It's symbolizing something, the outer garb. So even if they don't wear necessarily an outer garb, there, is, there are priests today, both religious and secular. Now, the religious ones may be easy to tell. But there are no priests today because there is one that is final, eternal, and unchangeable. But there are also priests that are secular. What does it mean to be a priest then? It means that they are the one. So this is who a priest is. A priest is someone that stands between you and the truth. That's what a priest is. A priest stands between you and the truth. They tell you, these priests today will tell you that there is a new and better way to combat racism, to look at sex and gender, to look at marriage, to look at the family, to look at the community, etc. They are priests because all you have to do is buy their book and invite them for a small speaker fee of $50,000. And only then can you be sufficiently woke or whatever it is. But these are not priests is the point. They are hucksters. They are grifters. They don't have any more special access to the truth than a hot dog. I, I, I like that example in particular because last, last week for Mother's Day, we had hot dogs. So I was like, that's the first time we had Mother's Day hot dogs. So it made, made it special. Um, but they don't have any more special access to the truth. 
than a hot dog. They don't. And God makes it clear by putting the priest right after he mentions the oath, the immediacy, the closeness of God's word to his son. God's word is spoken to his son, and his son is also fulfilled by him. He is the priest foretold in Scripture, and there is no one else before or after or in between. There is no other priest. So the better covenant is linked with the better hope. So if you heard better covenant, you would have linked it in verse 19, the better hope. The new covenant, or the diatheke, is another word for testament. It's a new testament. Or the making of a covenant. That's what testament is, the making of a covenant. So this New Testament is better. Why is it better? Because it is effective. It is effective to us being able to draw near to God because it is guaranteed by Jesus in his office as eternal priest. He is the guarantor, which means he puts up the collateral. Through him offering up his own life. His life is the collateral. That means through his death, resurrection, exaltation, he provides the guarantee that the new covenant will never be annulled or abrogated. He will fulfill the divine promise. Now that's spectacular. There is no more need for another priest. They don't have any more access to a deeper truth than who we have in Jesus Christ. But he doesn't stop at verse 22. There's more. In verse 23 to 25, it says, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. This... If I said the last, last section was spectacular, this is one step above. I don't even know what the word is because now there is a contrast that he's going to be making between the many and the one. There were many Levitical priests. According to Josephus, the historian, there were, about, there were 83 high priests from the Aaronic inception, that means from Aaron, to 70 AD. There were 83 high priests. And this is what the writer is making his point to. Each one of those 83 priests could not continue for the simple fact of death. Each priesthood was interrupted or disrupted by death. The perpetuity of the Levitical priesthood could only be maintained by the succession of priests. That's why Numbers 25.13 mentions the respective generations to make any continuity if possible. And that is contrasted with this one. Jesus has the eternal and final priesthood because in verse 24, he continues forever. The many then pointed to the eventual and the permanence of the one. Permanence also means final. There is no need for a successor because it is said, as it was said in verse 16, his life is indestructible. There will be no pause, no break, No stop to his priestly ministry. It will continue on forever because he is a priest forever. 
He will be able to save us to the uttermost or completely so that we can draw near to God. And we are able to do that now through Jesus Christ to fulfill our purpose for which we were created, to worship God. Westminster Shorter Catechism number one, the Westminster Shorter Catechism number one says, what is the chief end of man? What is our purpose? It's to worship God meaning to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Now, there is this little, little line that's added to the end of this section in verse 25. Since He always lives to make intercession for them. Since He always lives to make intercession for them. In Romans 8.34 as well, Paul writes, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Now we are going even further beyond Melchizedek because Melchizedek had nothing to do with sacrifice. And here, to the heavenly intercessor. Melchizedek had nothing to do with those two things. But here we go beyond Melchizedek to understand that Jesus here is the heavenly intercessor that we have for all eternity. Continual, uninterrupted intercession. What does that mean? That means we can boldly approach God. Continual, uninterrupted intercession means we can boldly approach God. Verse 26, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. There are five characteristics. Three he puts in short adjectival form, which we'll go over. Holy, hosias, means devout or dedicated, fidelity to the covenant, obedient to God. That's what hosias means. That's who Jesus Christ is. Innocent means guiltless. That means he has a moral qualification. That means he is always qualified to fulfill the role of high priest, unstained, pure. That means he can always enter the most holy of holies. These three things together describe his sinlessness, his spiritual and moral perfection. Unlike all other priests who had to make daily sacrifices for themselves. The fourth one, he's separated from sinners. He is different from humanity in the sense that he doesn't have sin like we do with our forefathers, which go all the way back to Adam. He is the new and better Adam, exalted above the heavens. The spatial plane above the heavens would be what? It would be God's throne. This is the highest form of exaltation. There is no more higher Jesus could be or he could go. Jesus enjoys this direct unhindered, unfettered access to God, therefore enabling him to fulfill his high priestly ministry for all his people. Verse 27 to 28, we'll finish here. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Verse 27, he doesn't need to offer uh, sacrifices like the others did because he is the final sacrifice. 
the priesthood showed God's people that the Levitical priests were held down by weakness. Even if you were part of the tribe of Israel, you would understand that the Levitical priests were held down by weakness. They were held down by sin and death. Then came the oath in Psalm 110.4, the one who came and gave the perfect sacrifice. I read verse, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 34, talking about intercession, which is in line with the priest that always makes intercession for us. So Romans 8, 34 continues on, as does this, to give us this understanding. I believe these are parallel together from Hebrews chapter 7, the end, to Romans chapter 8, from verse 34 to the end. Let me just read to you Romans 8, 35 to 39. After we understand that it is Jesus Christ who makes constant intercession for us. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, for we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor death, depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing, nothing now in Jesus Christ that can separate you that can keep you from entering the presence of God. This is why our message for those that are in sin is to repent, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Not you might be saved. You will be saved because Christ's sacrifice is sufficient. It is completely effective and his eternal and perpetual priesthood guarantees us, those that have placed their faith in him, continual, eternal access to the presence of God. It will be unfettered, uninterrupted. You cannot stop it. We are always able to boldly approach and enter into God's presence because of who Jesus Christ is. Isn't he amazing? Isn't he glorious? Isn't he truly the high king of all worship? And I believe so. So what is hindering you today? What doubts cloud your spirit and your heart? Don't you know that Christ has guaranteed you access to the presence of God because of who he is and what he has done for us? So repent, turn away from looking at the things of the world and look to Christ who is the guarantor of a better covenant, the true high priest. Let us pray.